Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Well, this is number seven of the COVID series. Uh, today's Echo on COVID had a very interesting lineup. I really like this one. This, this was, was this amazing. Was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started out with uh, Chris Hagen, our farm D, our resident farm D. Resident farm D. We don't pay him from Centricare. He's asking for money, but we're saying no. And uh, following him, we had uh, Dr. John Cole from the Hennepin Healthcare ER, telling not only a story of how their ER is working, but also a little bit about his own experience with COVID recently. Right, which I think just the perspective of not only being an ER provider of all types of providers, but um, having experienced it, the different perspectives he was able to bring was just, you know, and, and the emotion that he was able to express was, I thought, just super moving. He called it scary. And then at the end... Um, <laughs> That's male for emotion, scary. <laughs> we don't, men don't feel things. Uh, and at the end, we had very little time, so uh, Joe Helley from the command center and from CentraCare uh, gave a little quick update on the testing. So we're going to start out with uh, Chris Hagen and our FarmD report, kind of yes. like the farm report. The farm report, FarmD report. So we're going to kind of ask Chris to come back every week to just to give updates on the different medication research things, which of course it was just been a week. So there um, hasn't been a ton new things out, but really I thought this was great just because it really bullet pointed um, what's happened. So NIH has just released a couple additional guidelines, but nothing groundbreaking um, just because, you know, it's going to have to just be updated, you know, every week. Yeah. So really I think it's a real shock here, but there's nothing that's FDA approved for COVID-19. And we'll start out with the hydroxychloroquine. And of course, that's been the one that's been in the news. And since we're not getting paid by anybody to say this, we'll say that, uh, you know, initial reports that maybe this was a miracle drug were largely exaggerated. Yeah. So it's, it's not recommended. It's not condemned. Basically, the really the big thing that they say don't do, um, which goes against, again, everything else that was said a few weeks ago, is you really, they do discourage the combination of the hydroxychloroquine with azithromycin because of the, the toxicity and that whole long QT and cardiac stuff. So don't just jump to those two medications. It is not the cure-all. Not a cure-all. No. And they're discour- discouraging. That sounded funny. Discouraging the use of the HIV protease inhibitors. And uh, so basically there's just been a lot of unfavorable uh, clinical trial data. So that is out as well. And, of course, that convalescent plasma, which continues to be in the news a little bit, uh, again, uh, the jury's still out. But uh, I think we all hope that that's uh, something that will be done done frequently if it shows to be uh, helpful. Right. I think a lot of people who are surviving this just – want to do whatever they can to, to to give their plasma, hoping to help others. And I think that's super cool, and it will only help, I think, push research faster and further um, into this. Other immunomodulators, there's clinical trials being done with interferons and uh, JK inhibitors, um, but more to come on that. 
And in the final moments of his uh, talk, we did again ask him what drug he would like if he ends up being on high-flow nasal cannula, and he is picking remdesivir. It is still his drug of choice. You did skip over um, the whole ACE ARB thing. This is like a super cool thing and a lot of research being done, but really if patients already on an ACE inhibitor and ARB, keep them on it, but not at this point recommended to start somebody on it. Same goes for the statins. If a patient's already on it, keep it. Don't add it, um, but keep them on those medications. Yeah. And did you talk about corticosteroids? No, I'm I was, that for you. I wasn't listening to you talk. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, and so the corticosteroids, uh, basically, you'd be just as well off to dip yourself in lavender, I think. It just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good way to get rid of Kurt. Maybe not COVID, but to get rid of Kurt. He hates lavender. I hate that smell, but <laughs> I, they don't think that uh, it's helpful at all. And uh, the only time they're recommending continuing it is if the patient was on it prior to that admission. That was the inhaler version. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and said, this this is differs from the very, very beginning, again, where they said don't use them. Now it's, you know, keep using them, using them as part of it. But it's, again, not going to be your end-all, be-all. And, of course, use caution if somebody develops some acute kidney injuries um, during their process. And let me emphasize again that uh, Chris Hagen, PharmD, would like remdesivir if he ends up in the hospital. Yes, he did go through some studies, which we can just kind of quickly go through. Convalescent plasma, again, watching this. There's nothing peer-reviewed at this point, still waiting on it. The steroids, we're still waiting on it. Hydroxychloroquine, again. Still waiting. Still waiting, um, but definitely has gone a little bit more towards the neutral or negative than um, initially was was felt. Um the one thing is is the pharmaceuticals, just like the PPE, there there are some shortages out there. Um, and so judicious use, especially things like the meter dose inhalers, because, of course, we're trying to stay away from nebulized and nebulizer treatments because of the aerosolization of COVID. Um, and so there are some medication, potential medication, medication shortages um, in addition to the inhalers, sedatives and anesthetics. Um, Demand for these is changing, um, fentanyl. There's just more drugs that are needing to be produced to help with people who are needing these long-term ventilators to be sedated for the long-term vent uses. Um, and so just everyone needs to just be aware of what they're using everything in the hospital, I think. So one of the last things he did is talked about some of the emerging studies, and there are a couple of things that uh, he ran across, one on iron chelation therapy, which... Um, I have a hard time imagining is is a thing, uh, but there are some uh, some studies uh, looking at whether or not that uh, is helpful for COVID. Uh, but I think probably the biggest thing is the vaccine development, and there's actually 16 different uh, companies that are working on this, and uh, we're probably looking at getting vaccines after 2021 or in 2021. Uh, and it's going to take a little while for us all to get those. And again, they'll be looking at doing the high risk people first. Uh, and that may not include many of us. You're I'm, old, though. I'm not, so. <laughs> old, I'm not old enough. You, you should have seen the look on his face he just gave. One of these days we'll do video blogs and you'll be able to see his face. I look like I'm 40. Uh-huh. Um, and then to, to circle back to the melatonin, um, not bad, but not as a standalone, but as an adjunct medication. And then um, zinc, everyone always thinks zinc, vitamin C, all of those things. People who tend to have higher intracellular zinc 
tend to have a more robust immune system, so that must be me. Um, but really taking a boat ton of oral is hard to absorb, makes you feel sick, um, and doesn't necessarily get the zinc where it needs to go. So there's a lot of things we all wish were the, you know, the fountain of youth and the, the miracle elixir. Um, well, one thing, there was uh, there was some stuff that came out on BCG uh, just in the last couple of days as well. And interestingly, uh, last week or the week before, we talked a little bit about how there had been some decreased death data on people that had a BCG vaccination, and that is now being called into question. So hard to know if that is true, but there's uh, differences in the vaccines from country to country and the age groups that are getting it, so hard to know. Yes. and then Stay tuned. Then we got to transition to Dr. Cole, who doesn't know this yet, but he is also one of my new best friends since he is also brilliant like myself and also has, <laughs> can't even laugh when I, or not laugh. He also has four kids. Like, that's pretty neat. Um, his youngest is younger than mine, so that's harder for him. But anyway, to the point, to the point, this dude is smart. He's an ER doc, toxicologist. Um, again, just got over COVID-19 himself. Um, he started off, I think, was really interesting just talking about ER, how emergency rooms in general, aside from COVID, have been changed. Um, and generally, all ER volume is down um, for a couple different, you know, speculative reasons. Well, that whole thing that I think everybody's so afraid to go to the ER that they're like me, just staying at home, having heart attacks. And uh, <laughs> I know I had a heart attack last night and <laughs> I'm I'm doing OK now. But a lot That's of people are funny. having, yes, yeah, not funny. Yeah, but a lot of people are having very serious uh, medical issues, but they're not coming in. And I think uh, certainly in our ER, we've seen the volumes really low for some of the things that normally are going to happen and bring people in. Yeah, that is just so scary. He showed data from New York where he said 400 and some people are found dead in their homes each day on a typical day in New York City, which is just mind boggling to me. But there are over like 2,000 are being found now because of, yeah, these major health issues. They're just being afraid to go in. And so uh, this is the, the quick plug socially. If you are having a heart attack, chest pain, stroke-like symptoms, you're bleeding profusely, you're passing out, please go to the ER. Yes, go to the ER. Call 911. 911. So one of the things that he noticed that's really changed in the ER, and it's certainly changed in the clinic as well, when you're wearing a PPE, your ability to communicate to some people, uh, and especially I noticed this last week, I had an, a number of people who are hearing impaired, and uh, I had to almost yell uh, because they can't see your lips, and I think that's really a good point that we all have to understand. And even talking to our nurses or our staff uh, can be very hard uh, when when they can't see you talking. Oh, my goodness. I was doing a delivery last night. Luckily, I get away or a papper, so they can all still see my lips moving. But I got this huge fan blowing, so I can't hear a thing anybody is saying. Um, but they can see me smile. <laughs> that smile of confusion, because I have no idea what they're saying. They just, never mind. Okay, so uh, they talked a little bit about how a lot had changed as well in their ER. They're using walkie-talkies a lot and runners for supplies. Different things because their rooms have been changed around uh, to take on this influx of COVID and uh, the negative uh, negative pressure rooms that they have. So uh, then he, he went on to talk a little bit about uh, some of the clinical features and um, whether or not they're testing them. I think that's really pretty interesting. Um, I think from his perspective, since he is an ER doc and has personally been COVID swabbed, um, 
I, I just really appreciated when he said, you know, this isn't like a flu swab. It's flu swab, but deeper. Um, and they do both NARES during their swabs and Hennepin Healthcare. So um, I just think that's something to be aware of, that this is a little bit more vigorous. Yeah, just don't get brain tissue. You'd be going up if that was happening, so you're way off. Yes, okay. Anyway, um, so just focus on the different types of testing groups. Um, and then another issue they've had in just general when you're switching over to COVID a little bit is social media. As You know, we're kind of being social media people right now, but, um, you know, patients are seeing lots of different things on the Internet, whether it's about hydroxychloroquine as the end-all be-all or just different conspiracy theories or dif- different things they see on Facebook. Um, and so when patients come in to the ER, they they have kind of their own preconceived what they need and what sh- they should have done. And um, that also makes it more challenging as a provider. Well, I think a lot of people as well, when they believe they have COVID, uh, they believe it's a death sentence. I mean, I, I do. Very I, true. Uh, people come in and they're very afraid. So I think we all have to understand that what's traveling through social media can cause an enormous amount of anxiety. Yeah. But that also makes me think of something else he said just in general, that if a patient is showing up in an ER, the chance of it being something important and serious is exponentially higher than in the past. Yeah. So it's just everything is a lot more tense right now. Yeah. We talked a lot about, you know, at what point do we admit these patients and what, you know, what's O2SAT levels they're trying to plan on keeping patients. And they're actually doing other things where they will walk the patient, uh, see how quickly they uh, desat. And uh, I think a lot of those things are very helpful that we have to understand that uh, sometimes minimal exertion can drop their O2 sats precipitously. So we need to kind of keep that in mind. Yeah. I like when he said the whole, because, you know, we asked, and this is, this is kind of one of those things like, can you have another virus with COVID? Are you going to have influenza and COVID? Are you going to have RSV as an 80 year old and COVID? Um, He's just like, the virus doesn't care. Like, you could have all of them. Who cares? Like, they, they could all still be there. And I just think that's an interesting point that it, I guess it's worth ruling out. But Well, and I think, too, if you look at, you know, we've had a lot of positive influenzas. And some of those people have been short of breath in their 40 or 30 or 20. Uh, I've seen a lot of influenza. I've never seen an influenza patient walk in and say, I can't breathe. Right. Uh, that's pretty unusual. Uh, yeah, you occasionally get the post-influenza pneumonias, but uh, this has certainly been a different time. Yeah, he did mention that during his shift, he'll bring patients right back. If they if they have any concerns when they get home, they're welcome to come right back and he'll work them back up. Um, but that any amount of any patient who is even suspicious for COVID that is able to go home, they're setting still above that 92%. He did say 92 is kind of that cutoff. If they're at resting 92, 93 they need to be admitted and monitored, um, and that's the resting. So if they're getting up and moving around, it, it dramatically drops. They need to be admitted. But um, having that close follow-up, whether it's a telehealth visit the next day or the next business day or a COVID clinic or a respiratory clinic where they can actually be seen again is super important because, as we've heard time and time again on this this virus, is that when people go bad, they go bad fast. 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 Like me. So um, I think some of these things were, uh, I think we talked a little bit about already the ARBs and how we thought they had better in outcomes. And uh, that had really changed dramatically over the last couple of weeks, uh, uh, whether or not that was a good or a bad thing to be on an ARB. So, um, but uh, but I think that he, I think if he was trying to get one point across is how important it is to understand 
that this is a very sneaky virus. He used that word, sneaky. Sneaky virus. And uh, and that the symptoms can be really almost anything, uh, that uh, people don't have to have a cough, people don't have to have a fever, uh, but they can still be severely ill. So we all have to be very careful. And then he, you know, transitioned into his own experience um, and how he he was exposed um, from a, a co-worker of his wife and how he just didn't feel good. And then the next day he felt like literally he said he woke up and he felt like he just got run over by a truck. Um, but in, it, incidentally, he, he said his highest temperature never reached over 99.9. He said he didn't really have much of a cough at all. But his wife, um, who got sick about the same time as him, he, she had a lot more of the cough. Um, but he just said he felt like he aged a year in this process of his illness. Yeah, I think he was he was impressed by the dyspnea. He was impressed by his O2 sats being, you know, 94 sitting and his heart and his respiratory rate, you know, 30 and above uh, just sitting. And uh, how simple things just walking upstairs could really make him short of breath and he would have difficulty even talking. So I think from his standpoint, uh, I think it was... Uh, uh, very impressive. Uh, he was very shocked by how this virus uh, acted and how quickly it, it gave him these symptoms. Yep. Um, you know, the the state, of course, got involved because he had a positive, and so they had different rules about quarantine and, you know, the families. Now, you know, the, his kids are all in a 14-day quarantine. Um, he was allowed to go back to work um, two weeks exactly. Um, and so we asked, like, does he feel back to normal? And and he said, well, he's able to, to run again, and he's able to kind of do things again, but he's not anywhere near back to normal. He's still very tired, um, runs out of gas, um, but he is able to move and do things again, which has been very positive for him. Yeah, I was I was really impressed by the fact that he, he had seven days of the Rigers, and I think that <laughs> that that's got to be a kind of torture. Uh, but it just it just kept going. He said, it would just be uh, continuous. Yes. I don't know. It's just such a moving thing to, to hear, you know, what would have brought him back in the ER. And he said it was good that he is a doctor and has, you know, the ability to have a pulse ox at home. But um, again, I just think if you have the ability to talk to somebody who survived COVID, it's just like a different, totally different experience. But yeah. if you could go back and just listen, watch the echo today, just to watch his section, it was just amazing. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was, it was really uh, interesting. So then so, we, yeah. yeah, we're running out of time. So we ran into Joe Helly really quickly um, with some updates from the state. I think really at this point the state is still still doing okay. We still have capacity. Um, it, it was kind of quick. Dr. Hick wasn't available to join because statewide, nationwide, the issues with long-term care and FEMA is now involved. And um, so we will be having a lot more detailed um, updates from both MDH and the Incident Command next week. Yeah, so... Uh, and he did talk about how in central Minnesota, where we are, that now uh, Centric Care is uh, able to do some of these testing uh, up to 100 a day uh, at their facility, which is obviously going to help us. So um, really, what's the goal? The goal is to treat anybody who's symptomatic and at some point... To test anybody. Else. Yeah, to test anybody who's symptomatic and, and hopefully be able to do that ana- antibody testing to know uh, really what how good has our test been because we've had a lot of negatives in people who really look like COVID. So... So, yeah, so we will be back on uh, next Tuesday. Tuesday we have uh, Dr. Nasca, who's actually from uh, Essentia, uh, and she'll be back in our infectious disease doctor. We'll also have Dr. Punjabi looking at some CT scans of a case we had. And uh, so join us then. Yes, so we're going to leave you with some battle legs. Um, this tract is called South Australia.
And uh, check right. you out next week. Are you going to play it? Now that's me on the guitar. Is that a guitar? Go! In South Australia, I was born. South Australia around Cape Horn. We're gone for South Australia. All the way, you rolling kings. Be away, all the way. All the way, you'll hear me sing. We're bound for South Australia. As I walked out one morning fair. Be away, all the way. Twas there I met Miss Nancy Blair. We're bound for South Australia. All the way, you rolling kings. Be away, all the way. All the way, you'll hear me sing. We're bound for South Australia. I shook her up and I shook her down. Be away, all the way. I shook her out and round the town. I can't replace. All the 